Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, June 26, 2023. Hey, welcome to the summer. For the record, this podcast does not take a summer vacation. We are year-round information and entertainment. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. Tamar Goldwasser, a resident expert in prenatal genetics to talk about carrier screening, advanced level. Last week, Tamara and I talked about the case for universal expanded carrier screening, and today we're going to talk about a really fascinating topic with carrier screening where the mother might learn something about her own health and her future health from carrier screening, which is not the reason that carrier screening is done. Carrier screening is done to learn typically about the health of the baby, but sometimes we learn interesting facts about the mother. We're going to talk about that and break it down today. Again, carrier screening is rapidly expanding. Tamara is a national leader in this topic, and we're really, really happy to have her on our team and also, of course, to have her on this podcast. Reminders for anyone listening on Apple or Spotify, please do take the time to rate this podcast. If you love us, give us five stars, throw in some comments. We really appreciate them. Also, if you have any questions of your own that you'd like to send in for us to answer on a mailbag podcast, please do so. You can email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com or go to our website, www.healthfulwoman.com, and click on the link that says, send us your questions. Thanks for listening. See y'all next week. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Dr. Tamar Goldwasser, superstar geneticist, part of the national and international panels. You are like the NBA all-star of genetics. How about that? How about that for an intro? Thank you. That's (laughs) insane. Thank you. That is insane. No, so again, you've been on the podcast a lot. Awesome. And we've gone over a lot of topics in genetics. Last week, we sort of did an update on carrier screening and sort of the work that you were doing as a part of a committee, basically like the National Genetics Committee to talk about carrier screening. We talked about tier three and how everyone should be screened, you know, for more conditions. And you guys picked this panel or selected at least 113 of these genes. And one of the principles that we mentioned last time, we mentioned, you know, years ago, we did this, that basically from like a reproductive standpoint, there isn't a huge downside to being tested for more stuff, right? The cost nowadays is basically the same. This is stuff you would never know you had unless you happen to be screened or happen to have a kid who was sick with this. And so sort of, it sounds like, you know, more is better. And that might be true, but there is a concept that I wanted to talk with you about this week, which is really important that with carrier screening, Again, the 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 purpose of it and the intent is, you know, find out if I'm a carrier, find out my partner's a carrier for both carriers of the same thing. Our kid has a 25% chance of getting it. So we want to, you know, either sort that out with IVF on the front end or do a CVS or just know at birth. And, you know, there's all these different things, but there are some conditions where in fact, it has implications for the person being screened, right? One of the people reproducing, the mother, the father, whoever it is. It's not right. why we do the tests, but it's sort of secondary information. Now, some people might not want to know this, and that's a that is a conversation. If you may not want to know this, I'm I'm pretty sure you're going to fall on the line that you're better off knowing than not knowing. I know you tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> but I wanted just to to talk about that. There's a really big intro because this is something that people 
don't even know is a possibility. Yeah, I mean, whenever you do a genetic test nowadays, whether it's to screen to see if your baby might have a higher chance of having Down syndrome or if you do an amniocentesis or an IPT, whenever you look at DNA, you can learn unexpected things about the person whose DNA is being looked at. So this idea of secondary findings is there in any genetic test that you do. Mm. But it's important that we talk about it. So when you're doing carrier screening, just like you said, you're not thinking you're walking in the door to get a diagnosis for yourself. You just want to know what you might pass on to a child. But now that we are using sequencing, which is where you literally read the DNA, there are times where we give either the, the mom or the dad a diagnosis that would impact their own life. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's important for people going into the test to know. Again, it's not common. I mean, most of the time that's not going to happen. The vast majority of the time that's not going to happen, but it does happen from time to time. And that's part of the reason that we do try to have some sort of what we call pre-test counseling, just to explain like, what the hell are we doing here with this genetic test and what might happen? Like you may get a test that says totally normal, great, which is actually uncommon. You may get a test that says, you know, you have these one mutation, two mutations, three mutations, fine. And let's make sure my partner doesn't have it and we're good. Or you may find out you have this mutation. Oh, and by the way, we got to talk, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, right. You're like, yeah. oh, hello. And so having pretest counseling is a little bit complicated. And we spoke about this in previous podcasts, not because it's complex in nature. It's just to really understand this a thousand percent needs a lot of counseling. And since it's recommended that everybody gets screened, it's very hard that every person is getting screened also gets an hour of genetic counseling beforehand. It's just not doable. It's not practical. And so there's a lot of ways to sort of try to give people proper pretest counseling, whether that's with handouts, whether with it's, you know, websites, whether it's sort of short videos, a podcast like this, you know, just, but the idea is people should understand a little bit about the tests they're having before they have them done so that when the results come back, they're sort of not, shocked or surprised or upset that this was even a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I know that, tell me, what are your feelings on pretest counseling for stuff like this? Cause it's, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. And you know, you know, you know that I just wrote two pages of a word document for pretest counseling and we're looking at it saying, how are we going to get through all of this with each patient? And I do think that it's a problem in the genetics world in general, because we we take what we do so seriously and we want it to be handled with care. And at the same time, it can also be a roadblock in terms of, you know, it might even restrict access for some people to get testing done because we require or we want to be able to give so much information up front before offering a test. So I think it's a it's an issue that we have in medical genetics that we still have to I don't think it's been properly worked out, but I think this podcast is an excellent way to get your pretest counseling and information. You really just want to be an educated consumer and you we can we can make videos and we can provide written information and we can know what we need to know as doctors, but it's really hard because these conversations can take a very very long time and when you have so much to cover in prenatal care, it's it's really difficult. 
Look at Tamar plugging the podcast. Look at you. <laughs> See, that's why no, we invite you back. Perfect. <laughs> listen, I, listen I, I obviously agree. I think that, you know, I tell people all the time, listen, just listen to the podcast. You'll get an hour on this. You're never going to get an hour of this with your OBGYN. Never. They don't have an right. hour of this because if they do this, you're not going to pap smear. I mean, like, it's just that that's just how it is. You know, you can't do everything and spend all day. It's just not possible. It's just not feasible. It, it's not what the patients want. It, the doctors can't do it. The office can't. And so you have to do whatever you can to get information from whatever source you can that's reliable. And so, yeah, I think yeah. it's really important. But the other thing is, it's also part of the reason when you're getting carrier screening, all right, you may not get an hour of pretest counseling, but you should probably know who's going to talk to me if it's abnormal. Right. Cause then it's okay. Most yeah. people get either normal, like, you know, we said that they'll get totally normal results or results that are all right. They're not like normal and that you may have a mutation, but they're not complicated. You're like, all right, you have a mutation, but let, we don't have to deal with it unless your partner has the same mutation. That doesn't take that long to sort of get through. But what if there's something really odd that comes up? And I think that's why I'm not a huge fan of, and I'm pretty sure you're not a huge fan of people just sort of like, going commercial and sending their stuff off to, you know, place like 23 and me and say, Hey, tell me everything you can about my genetics. Cause what if you find out something crazy? Like who are you going to turn to? That's really when it gets ugly and there's no way to find information. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't exactly know what tests are done and they may say you were checked for a certain gene, but they may not have looked at the entire gene. And so I think it's really dangerous to do anything that you're going to use for health if you're going to go in a direct-to-consumer route, at least for the time being. Yeah, I mean, if you were to find out if you're going to like the taste of cilantro, like, okay, cool, like, you know, great. <laughs> right. You know, like, it, really, if you want to find, hey, right. you know, but how, I wouldn't yeah, what's my ancestry? The, the yeah. health of my baby. I yeah. wouldn't, like, you know, bet bet your, your um, yeah, the health of the baby. I wouldn't use this as a way. But I agree that you need to get your information. And another challenge is, let's say, we built this in to every prenatal visit. Half the patients really don't want to get this detailed and granular, and some people do want to know more. So I think that's the other challenge. I think that's another good reason why we're talking it out here. Yeah, and I mean, most of the times, the labs that do the carrier screening usually also employ genetic counselors who are available to talk about the results with the patients. Right. It may end up being your doctor or midwife. It may be a genetic counselor that works, you know, for the hospital or for the clinic you're at or whatever it is. But also the big labs like know this, like they know that there's an issue and they typically employ a team of genetic counselors who go through the results. And again, if it's sort of normal, fine, it's normal. And if it's like, hey, you're a carrier or something, let's test your partner. That could be a five minute conversation. That's not particularly complex. But if there's something that comes up a little bit, you know, funky, this is sort of, they talk about this with you and they're available, at least the labs that we've worked with are. And I don't know as a consumer, if you can ask your OB, hey, does this lab have genetic counselors? But maybe say, who's going to talk to me if these results are abnormal? That's yeah, that's, that's kind perfect. of an important question to get through because there can be something that comes up that needs some complicated discussions. Definitely. So let's talk about some of the conditions that that might pop up. I know that we have talked about Fragile X in the past, and that's sort of a, a classic one. So, what goes on with Fragile X? Okay, so Fragile X is the most common inherited form of intellectual disability in boys, and it's due to a change in a gene that's on the X chromosome. So, it's called an X linked condition. So, carrier screening in general 
is looking at recessive conditions that follow the model that we had talked about where you could be a carrier and if your partner is also a carrier, you have a 25% chance of having an affected child. But X-linked conditions are also on the carrier screening panels and these are really just passed on from, from the mother to on the X chromosome to her sons and it's also passed on to females, but they're usually more significant in males because males have one copy of the X chromosome. They don't have a second copy of a, of a functional gene. And so X-linked conditions in general are much more severe in boys because they inherit just this one gene with a mutation. And so they don't have a backup copy. Right. Because so their, fragile- their other copy is a Y chromosome. Exactly. They have right. a Y and an X, whereas females have two Xs. So they have that backup. Right. So fragile X, what's interesting is it's on all, it's recommended that you have carrier screening for fragile X. And sometimes females who are completely healthy might find out that they're a carrier for fragile X. They don't have the condition, but they're a carrier. And women who are carriers for fragile X, depending on the results, could be at risk for early ovarian insufficiency, where basically it looks like you're going through menopause, but at a much younger age than the average population. So the average age of menopause in this country is 51, but patients who have this side effect or this manifestation of being a carrier might go through menopause in their 30s or, you know, 40. So it's a big piece of news to learn about yourself. If you're going through carrier screening, let's say you just got engaged or you just got married and you're starting to build your family, you might learn you are at risk to have a child with fragile X syndrome and you also are at risk to not be able to get pregnant because your ovaries may sort of go through the menopause much, much sooner. So that's a big pill to swallow when you're getting those results. Yeah, but it is important because A, on the reproductive side, you're going to want to know, am I going to want to test this pregnancy, right? Or do IVF or am I going to, you know, whatever. And number two, you're like, Hey, if I'm at risk for premature ovarian failure, early menopause, I either need to get started and have kids early or potentially do IVF early and, you know, freeze eggs or freeze embryos or whatever it might be. But again, it's, it's not something you can quote unquote, do anything about to prevent the early menopause, but you can for sure do something about to potentially still have an opportunity to have whatever size family you want if you can plan ahead. And that's something that, again, it's not the reason we do the fragile X screening, but it is a consequence of finding out you're a carrier. Yeah. And it's definitely useful. So if we find that someone is a carrier, depending on what type of carrier, it would have to be something called a premutation. We would refer them to um, in vitro fertilization center to do fertility preservation. So they would either try and harvest eggs and freeze them or harvest eggs and fertilize them with you have a partner or sperm donor so that you can have the option of having your family whenever it is you want to. Okay, so presumably there's going to be other X-linked conditions that also can manifest in the mother. Because yeah. So let's, let's stick with those for now. So what else in the X-linked screen might come up? So there's something called Fabry disease and it's also X-linked and it's basically a condition where you're missing an important enzyme. And males who have Fabry disease have end-stage renal disease. They end up having basically kidney failure. They need a kidney transplant. They have pain crises. They can have 
heart disease and cerebrovascular disease. But many females who carry that mutation are actually also have either some or all of those same symptoms. And so, you know, I heard a lecture from someone who takes care of a lot of patients with Fabre. They say they've learned everything from females about Fabre disease because most clinics who take care of Fabre are taking care of females. And so it's basically contrary to what the old teaching that females who are carriers for excellent conditions are healthy and it's just their sons who we have to worry about. So sometimes you can learn something that you're a carrier or you have a full mutation for Fabre, you didn't know it yet, but there's actually, there's something that you can do to go see a kidney specialist. They can put you on medication to help prolong the life of your kidneys and to push off ever developing end-stage renal disease or at least be able to improve the quality of life and help preserve your health for a lot longer. And females can also get that enzyme replacement. And these, just to clarify, these conditions that we're talking about, are they on the tier three list that you had? Yes. Okay. So both of these are are recommended, Fragile X, Fabry, are both recommended to be screened routinely in everybody. So meaning yes. pretty much anyone who's have who's you know doing the screening will find out if they're a carrier of one of these things. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this so this so this diagnosis will be more common, I would imagine, moving forward, at least or it'll be earlier at least. Yes, it'll be earlier. And it can really actually help that person's life to know about it early and to sort of get on the treatment protocol before you even knew you had something to deal with because it can help you for, you know, down the road. Absolutely. Okay. What's next? What's next on the list, okay. TG? Another one is hemophilia. I gave a mm-hmm. little shout out to hemophilia at the end yeah. of the last podcast. Hemophilia, but- by the way, call, they, they emailed in and hemophilia, thanks. Thank you for the shout out. <laughs> right. So hemophilia, um, people know about it because some members of the royal family in England had hemophilia. We know males can die from the fact that they cannot form blood clots after just minor trauma. And so it's very important to know about. So hemophilia A is the classic one, and that's due to a deficiency of factor eight, which is on the X chromosome. Hemophilia B is a milder form also on the X chromosome. And so both of these are important to know for reproduction so that you know if you have a boy, if he has hemophilia, you need to know about it really right at birth because you think about avoiding any kind of trauma to the baby during the birth process. And also if you're going to do a circumcision, for instance, it's a really important information to know before anything happens to the baby. But also women can have a carrier. Women can also have some levels of bleeding disorders and you can check it by doing some functional studies. And we use that information all the time when we take care of our pregnant patients. Some women who are carriers for hemophilia B, which is the milder form, they still might have enough of a bleeding disorder or, you know, trouble with making clots that it might impact the risk that they may have when they get an epidural, for instance, when they come in for labor. Right. So these are, and these are things that typically, whether it's in the children or in the mother, can be treated with replacing the factor that they're missing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's useful to learn this information. Awesome. Okay. I think that's all the excellent ones, correct? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole list of them, but yeah. I think those are, those are the great big ones. examples. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what about some recessive conditions, sort of the more classic 
only an issue if I'm a carrier, you're a carrier, and then our kids have a 25% chance. But there are a few where if you're a carrier, there might be some mild yeah. conditions not diagnosed. Okay, so one classic is Gaucher disease, which is also a enzyme deficiency, but it's inherited in an autosomal recessive manner, which means if you're a carrier, you have a backup copy and you're healthy. Basically, we say 50% is good enough and you're healthy and you're fine. And we screen patients to see if they're carriers for Gaucher in this recommended panel. And every once in a while, we actually find that the patient doesn't have one mutation, but she in fact has two mutations and she has Gaucher disease and didn't know it yet. This is more common if we test people in their younger 20s because Gaucher disease, if it's not on the radar, it can take years to get to the diagnosis because the presenting symptoms are pretty vague. We call that the diagnostic odyssey where people just go from specialist to specialist and they have all these sort of nondescript symptoms, easy bruising, joint pain, maybe they get sick a little more, abdominal pain, and no one really knows what's going on. And so sometimes you may learn that the patient themselves has Gaucher disease and you can fast track them to treatment because there is treatment, it's en enzyme replacement again, and it's definitely beneficial to learn, but I think it's good to know that you may get a diagnosis when you do your carrier screening. Right. I remember we had a patient who got diagnosed with a mild form of cystic fibrosis on her screening. You know, yes. she was, she was, she wasn't full cystic fibrosis, you know, that they're classic, but she was, you know, she had some lung issues and got some pneumonias and was in, you know, sort of in and out of the hospital and in more of a milder form. And then someone said, you know, they shed her carrier screen pregnancy. They're like, dude, you have cystic fibrosis. Like what? You know, but it, it made yeah. sense, you know, and that happens because you find a, a mutation on both copies. Absolutely. And, and that highlights the fact that there's actually a broader range of how different diseases present. So we know the most severe forms of certain things like cystic fibrosis, but it was a newer finding to learn that some people are much more mildly affected, you know, sometimes hardly at all. So that's another phenomenon going on when we do more testing and when we open up the testing to the whole general population, we learn much more about each gene and how they work. Right. Okay. So what else you got? Another example is something called hyperphenylalaninemia, which is the cousin to a more well-known condition called PKU. And basically, again, this is something where you may not be able to tolerate something called phenylalanine in the diet and you have to avoid certain ingredients in your food. And so people who have classic PKU really have to adhere to a really, really, really strict diet. If they don't, it can lead to irreversible brain damage and intellectual disability. So it was a huge discovery when it was discovered. But now what we're learning is that some people have a much milder form and they're, they're not, they don't have a total absence of their enzyme. And so they themselves have gone undetected all these years. It's important because in those patients, especially during pregnancy, you do want to know that the phenylalanine levels are in controls in order to avoid certain certain harmful effects that it can have on the developing fetus. So if the mother's phenylalanine levels are not well controlled, it could have effects on the fetus. And so, again, that's a very practical example of why it's good to learn it, but you may, you know, never have known it before. Right. What else you got? Okay. Another example, um, again, of a recessive condition that you can end up getting a diagnosis for is something called hypophosphatasia. And again, 
this is the kind of condition where some people have a very severe form of their condition where they have a lot of breaks in their bones at early ages and you can lose your teeth and there's an even very, very severe form that is so severe that it leads to miscarriage. But there are some people who have a really mild form of the condition and we might say, wow, you don't have one mutation, you actually have two. So you're expected to show some symptoms and then if you dig further, you might learn, oh, actually, I'm not wearing my own teeth. I've lost all of my teeth intact. They just fall out with the root and I'm sitting here, you know, a healthy appearing patient, but I'm wearing dentures. And that has happened. And again, it's useful to learn because there is treatment. And also for those patients, they are at higher risk for getting osteopenia at an early age. So you would recommend a DEXA scan to screen for bone density at a much younger age. You don't do it in pregnancy, but right afterwards. And a lot of times this happens when people are pregnant. But, you know, if you're not pregnant, we would send you for a DEXA scan to check your bone density. And there are certain medications that generally we use for osteopenia, but are contraindicated for patients with hypophosphatasia. So again, extremely useful to learn. Right. And again, this is, you know, a lot of people sometimes will make the argument, which is legitimate. There are certain things I don't want to know by genetics. Like, I don't want to know if I'm going to get Alzheimer's when I'm 70, or I don't want to know if I'm going to develop this condition that's going to kill me when I'm 50. I mean, some people do want to know, some people don't want to know. And I get both arguments because like, listen, there's nothing I can do about it. Why do I want to worry my whole life that I'm going to get this? Like, it's just going to affect the next 40 years of my life. It's going to make me miserable. I'd rather just live my life fine, like totally understandable. But that's not what we're talking about here. These are things where it's a condition that if you were to know in advance, you can prevent many of the adverse outcomes that happen from it. You know, just knowing that you're lacking this enzyme, okay, you can be followed and you can take the enzyme. Or like you said, there's certain treatments, there's certain screens and there's things you can do to prevent it entirely or to make your quality of life much better as you get older. And so this isn't the kind of thing where it makes a lot of sense to stick your head in the sand, whereas it might be for some other conditions. These are things where it does not make much sense to stick your head in the sand for this. I agree with you. And I have to say that patients are usually, they greet this information. They find it almost comforting because a lot of times when you get a diagnosis, the patient will eventually say, you know what, this makes so much sense. I've been dealing with all these things. I didn't understand why. And it's a welcome piece of information. At least they have something to then look into and pursue and, and treat. Right. And I know that there's there's another condition you wanted to talk about which is the the ATM where we all get our yes. where, we used, where we get our cash from when we used to have dollar <laughs> bills and whatnot instead of you know Venmo. So what's the ATM? Okay, so ATM is a gene. Again, it's not X-linked, so we have two copies of this gene, and it's an example where it's on screening panels because it can put your children at risk to have a recessive condition. Where again, you would have to inherit two mutations: one from mom, one from dad, in order to be affected. But carriers of an ATM mutation, so even if you just have one copy, they are at higher risk to develop cancer throughout their lifetime. And it's not by a small amount, it's actually by a significant enough amount that there are different healthcare screening guidelines for patients who have just one ATM mutation. What kind of cancers are we talking about? So if you have an ATM mutation, that for females, it increases the lifetime risk for breast cancer significantly. So the lifetime risk is anywhere from 20 to 40 percent 
if you have one ATM mutation. And to put it into context, if you have a BRCA mutation, your lifetime risk is up to 80%. So it's not as high as carrying a BRCA mutation, but the general population risk is somewhere like 11 to 12%. So it's definitely much higher than the general population risk. Wow. All right. And again, this is, it's not on the carrier screen as part of a, a cancer issue. It just happens to be that if you're a carrier of this, you have an increased risk of cancer. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because we did, we offer different tests at different times, but it's all looking at your genes and some genes do more than one thing. So ATM, if mom and dad both pass on an ATM mutation, they could have a child that has something called ataxia telangiectasia. It's the most common cause of, it's called cerebellar ataxia, but basically it leads to really unstable gait or walking in children. And they can also have immunodeficiency and other issues with their eyes. So that's why it's on a carrier screening panel, because if two carriers get together, they have a significant chance of having a child with this condition. But incidentally, or sort of as a secondary finding, patients who have an ATM mutation should then go and speak to someone who specializes in hereditary predisposition to cancer. Women are referred actually for additional breast cancer screening. So the average woman is sent for mammogram every year at age 40, but patients who have an ATM mutation, depending on their family history and a discussion with their doctor, we usually add MRIs to their screening protocol, breast screening MRIs, anywhere between ages 30 to 35. So it's definitely important and I would say potentially life-saving yeah. type of a finding. Amazing. This is, I mean, talking to you, this is, this is like such high level stuff. It's, it's almost science fiction. I mean, it's crazy where we are nowadays. It's not science fiction. This is hashtag real, but it's, it's just amazing that there's so much testing that's available that is from a reproductive standpoint, critical. As we spoke about in the last podcast, like everyone should be screened for this, but as we do this on more and more people, we learn so much about these genes, because in the past, you wouldn't know who's a carrier of these things because they were never tested before. And so now that we're getting more and more information about who carries what, we do begin to learn the implications of that potentially to someone's own health. And these are just, I mean, we went through whatever, six or seven examples, but over the years, there's certainly going to be more that come up. And this is going to be potentially a way to help avert some conditions, you know, as we get older, like you said, like cancer, like as a cancer prevention, it's just wild that this is expanding so rapidly and how much we're learning. But it also, again, really just underscores the point that with screening and genetic screening, it needs to be with an infrastructure. There needs to be someone or some team of people or somebody who's going to look at these results. And if it's abnormal, not just sort of like put the blindfolders on, but also say, hey, is this one of those genes where I need to talk to the mom about this, like her own health? And that is something that's, it's really important to do this with like reputable people and reputable labs that have an infrastructure. Otherwise, you're not going to know this information. You just can sit in your file for 10 years and no one will ever tell you. I, I totally agree. I've had people show me their genetic test results that say something really significant about them and they didn't know and they had it. And Maybe it wasn't highlighted well on the report or there was some misunderstanding along the way in the chain of passing on information. But yeah, there's a lot there. And all I would also say is it is overwhelming for doctors. It is overwhelming for patients. But 
knowledge is power. And if you don't understand what information you're being given, you can reach out or just look for someone who is a genetics professional, a genetic counselor, a geneticist, maternal fetal medicine doctor, a pediatrician. So just bring your questions to doctors who you trust or people who are in the field. Amazing. Tamar, thank you so much for coming on. Back-to-back weeks. This is really important stuff. Love having you uh, around test questions too on the team and you know, you. Mo- moving the needle nationally, which we appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for get, spreading the word. I think it's so important. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.